Club members to this episode of Fat Girl Book Club. For this episode, we read the book of Fat Girls in Black Bodies by Joy Arlene Renee Cox. This book was, it was a ride. This book was a ride. I enjoyed this a lot because it was kind of part memoir, kind of part nonfiction, and kind of part, this is how we build community. And I think that that last piece was was very much key for me when reading this book. How do we build community? It's not an easy task. I mean, especially if you look at what's been happening within the body liberation community recently. Community is, is not just built on inclusivity. I feel like inclusivity is very, very important. We need to allow space for everyone to be themselves. But we also have to have boundaries. And we also have to have a way for people who make mistakes, because we're going to have allies, and even those within our own community make mistakes, a way for them to be able to take some time to figure out what went wrong, and to be able to make amends. Again, though, uh, putting those boundaries in place means that if somebody doesn't do that or doesn't want to allow themselves to go through that process, that we have a way to say, okay, we are not going to listen to your voice as much anymore. I don't know if that's the right answer, but that's how I'm feeling right now because I think sometimes it's very easy for us to say, okay, let's be inclusive. Let's include everybody. Let's make sure that anybody who wants to be a part of this is allowed to have a part of this. On the other hand, as a community, we are having to fight some pretty big systems, some pretty big things. And if we begin to lose sight of the fact that we are trying to fight some big systems and don't hold others accountable when they begin to perpetuate those systems, then we're actually not doing our community any service. But right now, it's hard to find answers. It's very hard to find answers. And that's why I think that the guest I had on for this episode was really special because we talk about community and how to build a community. And I think once you find out who it is, you will agree with me. Before I do that, though, I just want to give a shout out to my Patreon supporters. Thank you so much to Pascal, to Ace, to Larissa, and to Jen. As most of you know, this podcast is going to be going on a hiatus uh, once we get to episode 80. Uh, I'm hoping that it's just going to be a long hiatus. I'm hoping to come back in the new year, hopefully with some new content, with some new people, maybe a new format probably a new name (laughs) but we we will see how that all ends up playing out and panning out uh and I will uh keep you updated in some way shape or form make sure that you are connected with me on Instagram uh the link for that will be in the show notes below because that is how I will probably be giving any kind of updates through this time period. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to taking some time off. I uh, This podcast has been going very, very strong for uh, two and a half more years. And uh, I, I've enjoyed doing this work so, so much, but it's taken a lot out of me. And uh, as I talked about, I think in the last episode, financially, I need to make some decisions. I need to make some uh, choices and be an adult. (laughs) I'm not so good at the being an adult part. Uh, anyway, anyway, beside the point, I just want to say thank you to my Patreon supporters. Uh, if you, if you've been enjoying this podcast and you want to show your support some way, uh, I am, what's going to happen with the Patreon page is that I am actually going to take it down. Uh, once the, 80th episodes airs there will be another month so that people can go through uh, uh, the printables and the extra episodes 
and then I will be taking that page down. Uh, so if you've been enjoying the podcast, you want to find a way to show some support for the work that I have done, uh, Patreon is a good option because after October, there will not be anything uh, taken off. It, it will be shut down. Or uh, I also very, very much appreciate any reviews that come in. That really helps me out quite a bit. Uh, or even just a share and a like on Facebook or, or Instagram. Instagram is probably where you'll see me most. So that would be really, really, really awesome. Uh, if you have been listening for a while, just thank you. Like, thank you so much for listening. I, I, I really did not expect this podcast to do what it did. And I'm, I'm pretty... I'm pretty, I'm pretty proud. I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty stoked that there are so many of you that like reading these kind of books and like talking about some of these themes and like, you know, getting something out of their reading material. And uh, it's just really, really awesome for me. Okay, let me tell you about the book. I am going to read the backside of the book for you. Combating Fat Phobia and Racism to Reclaim Space for Women at the Intersection of Fat and Black. To be a woman living in a body at the intersection of fat and black is to be on the margins. From concern trolling, I just want you to be healthy, to outright attacks, fat black bodies that fall outside dominant constructs of beauty and wellness are subjected to healthism, racism, and misogynoir. The spaces carved out by third wave feminism and the fat liberation movement fail at true inclusivity and intersectionality. Fat black women need to create their own safe spaces and community instead of tirelessly laboring to educate and push back against dominant groups. Structured into three sections, belonging, resistance, and acceptance, and informed by personal history, community stories, and deep research, Fat Girls and Black Bodies breaks down the myths, stereotypes, tropes, and outright lies we've been sold about race, body size, belonging, and health. Dr. Joy Cox's razor-sharp cultural commentary exposes the racist roots of diet culture, healthism, and the ways we erroneously conflate body size with personal responsibility. She explores how to reclaim space and create belonging in a hostile world, pushing back against tired pressures of going along just to get along and dismantles the institutionally ingrained myths about race, size, gender, and worth that deny fat black women their selfhood. And to talk about this book with me, or at least to talk about a lot of the themes from this book, is Angel Austin, who, if you have not heard the name, I, I really feel like you need to, you need to get onto Instagram and start following, but not just following, getting involved. Uh, Angel Austin runs sacred space for fat bodies. All of the links, everything that we talk about in this episode are going to be uh, below in the links. But this conversation gave me shivers so many times, so many times, because Angel's story, Angel's experience is so powerful. And the way that she talks about community is inspirational. I was blown away and I did a lot of listening in this conversation because Angel's words have an immense power. When she speaks, I felt like all I could do was sit and listen because uh, everything she said was just like a mic drop for me. So let me read you her bio. Angel Austin, she, her, is the black, infinifat, and disabled founder of Sacred Space for Fat Bodies. She is dedicated to the creation of and increased access to self-care experiences for superfats and infinifats. She fights to make their voices heard and for their overall well-being as they are often excluded from participation and representation, even within the framework of fat liberation. Her lived experiences give her a unique and useful perspective. She enjoys writing, singing, and cuddling with her giant Rottweiler puppy, Boomer Bronson Austin. She lives in Northwest Austin, Texas, with her partner of almost 12 years. I will let you know that uh, this conversation was recorded before everything kind of uh, fell out the bottom with what happened with uh, Health at Every Size and Lindo Bacon uh, and Mikey. So... uh, you know, everything we're speaking of now has that lens over top of it, but at the time it did not. Uh, 
and I think you'll find that it's, it's, it, it, it just resonates so much. Uh, it just resonates so much, even though, like I said, we had this conversation uh, before that ever happened. Okay, I think that that is all I really, really have to say because I think this conversation speaks for itself. I am so excited for you to listen to this conversation uh, with Angel Austin about fat girls in black bodies by Dr. Joy Cox. Hi, Angel. Welcome to Fat Girl Book Club. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. (laughs) I am so excited you're here and I'm so excited. We're going to be talking about fat girls in black bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, by Arlene Joy Arlene Renee Cox is the mm-hmm. full author's name. Uh, before we kind of jump into the book, there's a lot in there. Uh, would you like to do a little bit of an introduction and maybe maybe talk a little bit about how you got into body liberation work, fat liberation work? Yes, um, my name's Angel Austin. I'm in Austin, Texas. I live here with my partner of almost twelve years with our Rottweiler Boomer. Um, <laughs> yeah, you something else. The name is perfect. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I've been here in Austin uh, since I was five, so I say I'm from here. Austin is a beautiful place. It's, it's Texas, and um, need I say more? But, <laughs> but for the most part, um, it's, it's been a beautiful place to grow up. I, uh, my background is kind of uh, in corporate, I was in corporate for many, 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 many years. Uh, that's a whole other podcast, being in corporate America as a fat Black woman. But uh, I left that world uh, in 2013 uh, to pursue other things. I've kind of dabbled and dabbled back in it since then. But I uh, started my own company, um, Mobile Concierge, kind of Aaron slash virtual assistance company um, back in 2013 when I left my job took out my retirement and said, see you later. And I, you know, I haven't really looked back since. As far as body liberation work, to be honest, I had no idea what that was until about four years ago when I met Ash Fatlip. She opened my eyes and my world to, and I get emotional when I talk about it because I feel like my life it's like before Ash and after Ash. It's like this, this real, like very clear line of demarcation. Whew. Oh my gosh. Um, over time where I started to know who I was and every time, every moment before that was kind of like a life of, you know, self-hate, um, restriction, uh, exercise abuse, food abuse, and meeting her and learning about fat liberation as not just fat liberation, it's very important to make that distinction. Not just fat liberation, but fat liberation as an infinite fat because it's different. The reputation, the representation is different. Um, how we are perceived is different. So it wasn't just fat liberation. It was fat liberation as a fattest fat that opened my eyes to a world of learning about not loathing myself and not feeling like I was the worst case scenario of life. That's where it all started for me when I did an interview on her podcast years ago, the fat lip. And so since then, it's been a lot of unlearning, a lot of eye-opening, a lot of, you know, correctly placed anger. (laughs) And just, I don't know, she has this fire about her that, like audacity, I guess is the word, um, that I really feel like I took uh, and took and just ran with. And so about maybe almost two years ago, I, it's all a blur because of the pandemic, but I started Sacred Space for Fat Bodies. And it was honestly a selfish endeavor because I saw the lack of access to self-care for the fattest of us. And that's generally super fats and fin fats, if you're looking at that spectrum. I 
I just realized from my own experiences, trying to get, you know, just basic things like a manicure, pedicure. You know, I had experience once where I went into a, a, a shop, a nail shop, and I wanted to get a pedicure. And I got up in the chair and the owner of the shop came running from the back and said, no, 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 you're going to break my chair, you know. This is a full shop, you know, and, and people are just looking at me and I'm, I'm mortified, as you could imagine, right? So it's experiences like that. Even, you know, I fell once at a job and I uh, had to go through workman's comp and I went to the clinic and I, I couldn't even get up on the table just because, you know, sometimes it's hard. I'm short too. And I leaned against the table and the nurse is like, you know, that table only has a 350 pound weight limit. Please don't break our table. You know, so this is the case, you know, when we go to doctors, when we go to, you know, any self-care spots, any place where we can, where a human being can be served um, that is not set up for us uh, because of weight you know, table capacities, chair capacities, you know, handles and, and arm, you know, armrests on chairs that are too small. And, and so I was thinking about my experiences and I was like, what if we had a place that the fattest of us could come and feel completely cared for and comfortable and accommodated and included? So I had a, just moved into another house and I had a space in the front of my house. And I was like, I would like, you know, people to be able to come here, get massages, get their hair done, get, you know, their nails and feet done and just feel pampered or have robes that wrap around them that actually fit them, you know, a place to sit to change that is comfortable. Uh, they don't have to worry about, you know, weight capacities on seating or tables. Um, and so I kind of set my mind to do this. And then it kind of developed from there. I, it was very difficult to try to get like all those services in my house. <laughs> so I feel, you know, at some point I felt like, you know, I think massage for now would be most helpful. I needed regular massages. And so I sought out to, you know, kind of just focus on massage until I can kind of develop, you know, more and things like that. And so, you know, start looking for tables. And then I realized that it was necessary for these spaces everywhere, right? Not just in my house. And I was trying to figure out a way to, to make that happen. And so I started thinking about people who offer services now. Saucy West was talking about the fight for inclusivity with clothing um, and among others. And um, I just was like, you know, what if we could find a way to link people up with services for the fattest of us, people who understand that accessibility and accommodations are necessary for every human body, no matter their size? You know, how could we make sacred spaces everywhere all over the world? And so that's where I got the idea of, to create a directory and I'm working on, I'm one person, you know, it's like, Huge idea, right? But I'm trying to make it happen. A directory, that's, rating is part of it, you know, possibly, but the, the, the most important part of it is just knowing that there are places that you can go that, that appreciate your body, that receive you, that are prepared for you, that had you in mind when they were created, that are, maybe didn't have you in mind, but are willing to do the work to make the space what you need it to be. And so that's kind of where I'm at now. I have found a table um, for my home. <laughs> it's a big table, right? So it's about 36 inches wide, which is way a lot wider than the standard massage table. It is hydraulic, which means that it's adjustable for anyone that needs to sit on it. You can get it down low. So there won't be problems with trying to hop up on it, right? And that helps the, the L&T as well you know, because they can adjust for their body and what they need. Um, it's the push of a, a, pad, a panel on the floor will raise it and it raises up to 800 pounds, you know, and it can lift up and hold up to 800 pounds. So um, logistics are kind of hairy right now. Freight is an issue because they generally ship things like that to docks. So I can find freight that is inside delivery, but even inside delivery doesn't meet inside your house. That's a liability for, you know, the, the industry. 
So it would be something that I'd have to get here and then figure out how to get in, get set up, all that type of stuff. But I'm up for the task. Um, so I I haven't really said it yet, but on this podcast, I'm kind of announcing that it, among other items, will be listed in the Kickstarter that I'll be doing to uh, raise money for the table, for a transport wheelchair so that people can't walk into miles. We can go get them and push them in um, in a chair that will hold them. Seating for uh, changing, uh, that's going to be a wide, you know, kind of a bench type situation. They can sit on, lean back, lean forward, and worry about falling or, you know, you know, breaking the chair. Even a lift that if they agree to it in the event that they do fall and have trouble getting up, we can work with them to get, them, get under them and lift them up, you know, into standing or sitting, among a few other things. But I want that to happen. And I want those types of things to happen as I make that happen here in my home. I want to be able to duplicate those type of situations in various ways, everywhere that anybody can, you know, can is willing to accommodate. And I, I'm working with some people now. I, I have a, a Patreon tier where I work with people who offer services that want to make their spaces or their services or whatever they do, accommodating to the fattest of us. And I have that unique perspective as an infinite fat Black woman uh, to be able to tell them what they need because it's what I need, you know, yeah. Oh, but just gave me shivers. (laughs) (laughs) It was a lot. (laughs) It's a lot, yes, yes. I feel like like, that's a lot for one person. It Mm -hmm. is absolutely a lot, but how special. How yeah. special that is, you know? I I mean, wow, wow, just that's beautiful. And yes, I mean the links to everything is gonna be in the show notes, but it's like yeah. if somebody is listening and this Kickstarter, it's just it it touched you in a way that it's it really touched me right now. Uh it'll be down in the show notes. As soon as you have a link, Angel, we'll put it in yes, there. I will. Can it'll be soon. Oh, wow. Wow. Amazing. Amazing and wonderful. Um, So when you first started to think, uh, like, this experience that you had, this awful experience that you had at that salon, did that, was that like a catalyst for sacred space? Was there like a a, a one particular moment where you were like, this is what I need to do? Uh, Or was it just kind of a slow growing idea in the back? It's been slow growing, and honestly, that happened maybe 15 years ago. Mm. Um, I had no concept of fat liberation or uh, fat activism or anything like that. As a matter of fact, I was likely in the throes of, you know, diet culture and severe internalized weight stigma because that's how my life has been most of my life. If there was any catalyst for sacred space, um. I think it would just have to be the things that I've been discovering since learning, like it dawning on me uh, that I could not hate myself. And I I would have to say that would have started with an interview with with Ash a few years ago. The more I kind of entrenched myself in fat activism and just like became open to the concept, because I think people don't understand Maybe they do, your listeners might, but I don't think people understand what it takes to change course as a, as a fat person, uh, especially an infinite fat person, when you've been so oppressed, when the old word is like all you've heard. You, I've had some really painful experiences as a fat person and me fixing it was like my daily life goal was fixing myself. And when that's all you've thought about, when that's everything that you've ever experienced drives that to change course and to like start to actually just accept who you are and and know that you don't have to change yourself or fix yourself to be valid or considered human in the face of everything like in the face of stuff that you're still dealing with now 
that's a lot. That's huge, you know? And uh, I think it's why I'm so adamant when people, like, I don't mind pushback, you know? I don't mind, you know, dealing with the troll here and there or whatever. But a lot of times I don't entertain it only because you you have to be there. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's something that even if you're a person, I had a guy come in my comments uh, just yesterday and say, how can you say that, oh, the O word isn't, you know, a disease? And how can you say? And it's like, you know, there's nothing I can say to you. There's absolutely nothing I can say to you. And I won't say that I, I have never, or you could have never been that guy, you know, but because I, you know, I was completely indoctrinated. But at, by the same token, like, I just don't have time. You know, I just don't, I fought too hard to get here. You know, I fought too hard to let it, to even let it like take root in my mind and my heart, you know, so I have to just delete block and keep going. You know, if a person is willing or I, I've, I've gotten real good at, at like being able to perceive if a person is, you know, just open or searching or, you know, like considering something else. and. In those situations, I will, because I've been there. But people who just kind of like beat you over the head with it or can't understand anything else and are still kind of doggedly, you know, sticking to their guns, you know, with weight stigma, I, I can't, I can't, you yeah. know? Yeah, oh, I, yes, I do know. And it, I don't think I've gotten good at being able to perceive whether or not they're, mm -hmm. I, I delete block just like you said <laughs> about it. Uh, I feel you. I, I really do. I feel you. Like, I don't get how trolls. Like, I, I can get going onto somebody's page and being like, I don't agree with them. Mm -hmm. uh, but not saying anything because what's the point? Like, what is yeah. the point putting that onto somebody else's page? To me, it just doesn't make sense. I didn't grow up with social media though. Um, yeah. So maybe, you know, like social media was never a part of my life until I was in my twenties. Mm -hmm. That's when it kind of blew mm -hmm. up. Took off. Me too. Me too. Yeah. So, yeah. so sometimes I don't get all these young kids in their social media. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I understand. This this guy, you know, like I said, I could have been him at one point, and he'd experienced, you know, and that's the other thing. If you bought into like fat phobia and, and the stigma and he felt like it worked for you mm -hmm. some people do and they feel like they perceive that it worked for me I lost the weight I feel better I'm sorry we were talking about this the other day how you know before and after pitch for people who claim you know that they've divested from fat phobia how they do it and it's so insidious because it's like this air they have about themselves like hey, I was beautiful here and I was beautiful there, but you know what I'm saying? Like, why do that? You know, why, why, why do that? You know what people have gone through and what they're dealing with, people that follow you. You know, what point are you, are you trying to make? And that's the thing. It's this insulting uh, of our intelligence to say, you know that if you're old, that, you know, you're you know, more prone to, you know, whatever, the myriad of diseases or whatever things that have been studied, things that have been disproved, things that we have held close and that have caused these, you know, um, these, these things like I deal with CHF and I, I will tell anybody for my whole life, it runs in my family. And for my whole life, I was like, if I don't do something about my weight, I'm going to, you know, I'm gonna check out because what happens is when you're fat, it hurts your heart, right? It didn't even dawn on me until, you know, I started reading and learning and following people like, you know, the Fat Doctor UK and, and all these other, you know, all the research and studies that the reason why my heart is, is damaged is because of years of stigma and oppression because I've been a fat Black woman all of my adult life and most of my, you know, teenage life and young adult life, you know? And so 
dealing with that on top of being a black woman, you know, and on top of all the other, you know, intersections that I, you know, claim, that's stressful. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that's that's stressful. And so, um, and then be like I said, being genetically predisposed, all those things. It didn't dawn on me until I started to read and learn and understand. And so when I hear people say these things and these blanket statements, you know, I just like, you don't get it. And they're looking at me like, you don't get it. So they're pitying me, you know, right. thinking, thinking, right. oh, if if you would just understand that, you don't think I've heard that before? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like don't don't insult me. It's just like, you don't care about my health. You know, you don't care about really what happens to me. You want to uh, exert this control over my life and what you perceive and what you think, and you want me to believe what you believe. And I, I'm past that now. I'm never going back to that. I'm no. never. I refuse. My life, my heart, everything has changed. Everything. I when I was at my job um, those years ago when I left, I had developed <clears throat> a fear. And it scared me. And of course, the doctors are like, you got to lose weight, blah, blah, blah. you know, all this stuff. I've had the most horrible experience with doctors. That's a whole other podcast. But what I will tell you is that that day that I went to the electrocardiologist and I stood there in that office and he said, you need to have this procedure to stop, you know, the, the AFib. I knew I had to make a decision. It was going to be, and, 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 and then it might not work. You'll have the procedure. It's a risk because of your size, you know, uh, all these things. Because they have to. It's. I don't know if you ever had this or know about this procedure, but they go in through your groin to your heart and cauterize a part of your heart to stop the arrhythmia. But you're prior to that procedure, you're on a course of a very strong um, um, anticoagulant. I can't think of the word right now, what it's called, but it's to stop, to, to make you, your blood flow instead of clots, to stop clots. And so Coumadin was the prescription. So you're on a course of that that has to build up in your blood. So you could just bleed out on the tape because your blood can't clot. You know what I'm saying? So it's a risk. It's a risky procedure. So I made the decision that either I was going to have the procedure to stop the arrhythmia or hope to stop it, or I was going to stop what was causing the stress. So I left my job, this job where I was passed over, oppressed. People would try to touch my hair, make comments about my weight, uh, comments about what they thought about my body, just general oppression, you know, for 13 years, I was at that job. And when I quit the job, everything changed. And so even back then, I had no concept that it wasn't about my weight, right? But um, that was in 2013, that's 2022. I might have had two more bouts of arrhythmia, but I have not had an episode for about four years. Wow. And, and I haven't subjected myself to, you know, to that oppression. I removed myself from it, right? And so it proved, it showed me um, and helped kind of solidify, you know, that in this body that I have, it has limitations because it's a body and there are things that are beyond my control. But if I want to strengthen this body, if I want to serve this body, if I want to do what's good for this body, good for me for this body, I can do it. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean I have to change it. It doesn't mean I have to shrink it. I don't have to do anything to it, but appreciate it. And I'm good. That's it. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I feel like when we come out of diet culture and we pull that lens away from our eyes and we're yeah. able to look at things so much differently, everything yeah. changes. Oh, yeah. Everything changes. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, I mean, the story is it's incredible. <laughs> it does, it changes. And I think that's why sometimes it's hard to, like I look at other people who like said, look at you, like, why don't you get this? Uh, it's hard to, like, we can't pull the wool back over. 
Mm-mm. You know what I mean? Can't put there's that no back going and- back. Mm-mm. It just doesn't work. No. You know, it you're sort of like, I've seen too much now. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't work. It doesn't. It's like a little kid. It's like being a grown up, putting little kids clothes on. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't yeah. fit anymore. It doesn't work anymore. It won't work. It doesn't make yeah. sense. Mm-mm. Uh, so I guess I, I want, I, I'm going to move into the book a okay. little bit. Okay. I know you said one of the statements that you made about this book was that you felt it was very close to your story. Oh. Interested to know what things really, that you really connected with in this book. Well, I'm not sure if you know what a PK is. A PK? A PK. Mm-mm. A preacher's kid. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I grew up in the church. Oh, okay, okay. I so had the in here. <laughs> quintessential Black church experience. Okay. I grew up Baptist in college. I started going to a holiness church, which he mentioned specifically in the book. Mm-hmm. The, the church experience, I know very, very, very well from a child. Like, I was born in the church. My fa- as a matter of fact, in Huntsville, Texas, I was born in Fort Worth, Texas, but we soon moved to Huntsville, Texas, where my father was assigned to a a parish in the AME Church, African Methodist Episcopal Church in Huntsville. And we lived there as I was a a child. Um, We moved different places, but everywhere we went, my father pastored a church. So I I know about the church experience being a little fat girl. I know about family, but this is something else that I haven't told anybody uh, on the podcast, but I'm working on a book and the book is called Cookie, How Much You Weigh. When I was growing up, my grandfather called me Cookie. That was my nickname. I had a cousin that was close in age. She's about two years older than me. And both of us kind of grew up together, like more like sisters and cousins. We didn't live in the same place, but we visited a lot. And um, when I was very small, we lived in my grandmother and grandfather's house. As we got older, started to develop, we, it was clear that we were going to be big girls. And so we hated walking through the house in my grandfather's presence because he would always compare us to each other. Like he would say, Misty, you're going to catch up with Cookie or vice versa, however our bodies were at the time. Whoever was bigger or, you know, becoming more developed, he would always say, y'all going to catch up to each other and just compare our weights and our bodies a lot. And then one day he just straight up asked me, Cookie, how much you weigh? And I don't know why, but I'll be 49 in November. And I remember it like it was, like it just happened. He's gone on now, you know. But that's kind of when I noticed that I was different, you know, and as I started to get older, uh, I remember my parents having conversations about how much I could eat, you know, my dad bragging on me when I was a toddler saying, Angel could eat, you know, half a dozen eggs, you know, and kind of pushing And at that time, he was a big man too. And the reason I say that at that time, it was because at some point he started to dread being fat. He was a fat kid growing up and he got a lot of flack for it. So when he saw me getting fat, it triggered something in him, you know? And he would just, it was out, of, out of love, and I know it was out of love, but my mom uh, was 4'11 and she at one point was about 300, you know? And, and he would tell her, you know, you better, you know, do something about yourself. And I would hear this. You know, I would hear this and it was a fight in my house. My dad, you know, felt like he was, uh, had, had awakened to health, you know, in this, this concept of, you know, thinness and, uh, and, and those being linked together and how important it was and how to stave off things, you know, in the future. And my mom, love food so it was a point of contention in our household it was like us against him or him against us really and I saw my mom go to get b12 shots and 
you know, go to these different things, go to Elaine Powers. I'm invading myself right now because Elaine Powers was like this exercise thing for women. It's really creepy little place where only women went. And you remember how you see those things in the 50s where, or in the, uh, what black and white, I'd say older, but uh, the women with the belts and they sh- they'd be shaking their bodies or they get on these, yeah, you remember those? And, or they sit on these rollers and that was like roll, you know, hit their thighs. It was that kind of place. I saw it. And I'll go with my mom and I watch her get on these machines. And this is what I saw, right? And as I'm saying it now, it's like I'm unlocking memories because I hadn't even thought about it. But so the book just, it was like reading about my own life because my dad, I remember the day my dad stopped packing me up the stairs. I remember he used to take me, we lived in an apartment. It was two story. And he would put me up on his back and he would carry me up the stairs. And then one day it just stopped. And I remember him saying, you're just, I can't do it anymore. You're too heavy. You know, um, I remember I was going to this really nice daycare and I got to give it to my parents because they really tried to make my young life exciting. And back then, I think it was probably a lot more affordable too. But I was going to a daycare and at this particular daycare, we had daily activities like outings or, or things that they were, you know, special things that they would do for us. So one day in particular, they bought a pony um, for us to ride around. And it was a little pony. And they told me I was too heavy to ride it. And, but, but I could lead it around while the other kids rode it. Can you imagine? I was a little kid. I had no idea how big I was compared to, I know I was bigger, but no idea as far as whether or not I could really ride the pony. But uh, they wouldn't let me because they said I was too big. So I had to lead the pony around for the other kids. And that was my moment where, like in the book where she says, that was when I realized I was different and I was old enough to like get it. That was it. That was it. And um, one other experience that I had, I remember my dad and I were, and I t- I'll tell this story because it, like this really does feel like it's all just happened. You know what I mean? We went to this laundromat and back in those days, I there were these, here in Austin, there were these, I, f- I forgot what they were called, but you could come into the laundromat, they had a big screen, like old school, big screen TV, like floor model and uh, like a snack bar. Ooh. So you could go in, watch television, yeah. and then also get something to eat while you wait for your laundry to get done. It was a cool concept. Video games, everything was cool. So my dad and I go in there, we get our laundry all put up. I was probably like around 11 years old. And uh, we go over to the counter because my dad, he had this thing about whenever we were out together, he would talk to everyone. He knew no strangers. He was just that guy. And I'd be like, oh, dad, please, not now. Every time, he'd be like, hey, God, you know, he's like one of the gifted gab type guy. He walks into the counter. This is a black guy behind the counter working. And he has some pizza, like, on our rotisserie, um, like a heating, under a heating lamp. And he's getting ready to throw away, because, you know, you know, health code, like, after it sits out for a certain amount of time, you got to get rid of it. And so it was probably the pizza though. And he's like, hey, sweetie, you want a piece of pizza? And I'm like, clever your old kid. I'm like, heck yeah, I want some pizza. I sure do. And my dad was like, no. And he looked at the guy and he said, if you ever have a daughter, never let her look like this. And like in my presence, like, like to, like he might as well say it to me. You know, because I was right there and I just looked. I don't remember right now. I can't. I mean, I, I remember feeling hurt, but I'm almost certain I'm hurt more by it now than I was then, only because I, I understood it better now. I understand it better now. What he was saying and what he was saying in the in the big picture, you know, in the big scheme of things. So I know that that the pain of not feeling accepted. I know, I remember, even though she said she used to tape up her her body, 
I never take my body up. I would have dreams about cutting fat off, you know, about changing it so that I would be acceptable so that I could wear clothes that I wanted to wear so my body would look like it wanted to look and I wouldn't be ridiculed. I had cousins that would like bully me, you know, horribly. Every time they see me, oh, it's Fat Angel. You know, just just all this stuff. School, I used to fight like guys, like fight, fight, just because it was a way for me to exert my largeness mm-hmm. in a way that garnered respect. And I was known to be strong. And and the only thing that really helped me though, oh, she still addressed it in the book as well though. It was like this adultification. I say helped me though because it kind of protected me from people. I was perceived as wise, hyper intelligent. I was tested a lot, you know, by my teachers because they had this idea about me that I was super intelligent which is cool. I mean, it helped my ego, I guess, and my self-esteem. It kind of insulated me from a lot of the pain, only because it took me away from uh, my classroom a lot. I was a teacher's helper all the time, you know, uh, special programs, things that I was uh, put into because, you know, people saw potential. All of that. I just related to so much of what she said because that was my life. Like I was in gifted and talented classes. Um, I was in split classes, like um, classes where there was like fourth and fifth grade. Mm-hmm. I was put in those classes because I was, they, it was like a step short of like just putting me up another grade. I was in, you know, in the same class was, it was fourth and fifth grade, fifth and sixth. I, I don't even re- remember who my teachers were because it was all like this jumbled mess from like third grade to sixth grade because I was in split classes all the way up. It was like trying to have the, the best of both worlds. So I could, you know, have the mental kind of comfort with kids my own age, but still be stimulated by, you know, stuff from older kids. You know, that was cool. I was exposed to a lot, you know, to culture. So all that was cool to me, but I didn't realize what was happening. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I had teachers. I'll never forget that. It's funny now because it was just so surreal and just weird. So first of all, let me just preface this by saying I was one of a handful of Black kids in my school. So that kind of intensified this situation. So I stood out. And I, at that time, I was bigger and taller mm-hmm. than most kids. Uh, and so I was just like this being walking around that was kind of like to them unreal you know what I'm saying and it was crazy I remember when the space shuttle exploded mm-hmm. I was on the news for an essay I wrote about it like it was that type of thing like they tried to make at by but by, by and on one hand I was tormented for being fat you know and different and on the other hand I was completely celebrated and my little mind young mind was just completely messed up because of it yeah um and so but anyway and especially because the the places where I was the most hurt were within my community my own community but the other people treated me like a rock star and so it was just I relate to this book so much but anyway um well a lot about community and I think community is a great Mm -hmm. is great what what do you think the definition or the characteristics of community are? To me, community is where you can be your true self, not put on any fronts or airs, or you can just show up and be completely accepted. It's not about norms. It's not about uh doing anything to be accepted it's just this is who I am this is what I offer I'm I'm here to support and to encourage flow but I don't have to be anything or pay anything any type of cost to, to be here 
I can just be and enjoy it. <laughs> How do we create those safe space? I think the only way to really begin to create those spaces is to be committed to unlearning the things that cause us to other each other and being completely accepted, more than tolerant, but completely accepting of each other. Because I think what happens is we don't even understand our own biases. We don't understand the own ways that we, other people, even, I mean, fat phobia, we're, we're fat phobic and stigmatizing to ourselves. So that work is important first, but, but also seeing a person and not making any judgment or perception about them based on your own or when you do checking those things. I do a lot of that because I, like I said, I grew up in the church. I grew up, you know, with certain perceptions. I still, there are things that I hold true in my heart, you know, about things that I've learned, things that stuck, but I don't allow those things to cause me to see people in different ways. You know, I have respect for people and love for people based on the fact that they're human and nothing else. I, I pride myself on not being surprised or put off or upset by things. And I think that's a huge issue in our time now, especially with the advent of social media in our later years, because people have so much to be upset about and to other people about and to complain about. And there are ways that we as different communities amplify that ourselves, that we don't help the situation. And it's important to understand those things too. Case in point, um, there was a person that I talked to this week about with all that's happened, they had apologized for something that they did that somebody took offense to. And uh, I didn't, I, I saw it for what it was. It wasn't, it wasn't what it was made to be, you know? And I feel like we waste a lot of time with this, this outrage, you know, and this frustration and commenting on, on things uh, that aren't important within or without our community. And I think if we focus more on doing things that actually have impact, that are helpful, that that are tan not, not well tangible, but even non-tangible, but that actually move things forward. We'd be a lot better off. Those things cut off community. When when I pick at you and I say you should have did A, B, C, D, and and I understand harm, harm is real. I'm not saying that harm isn't real. I'm not saying that we can't uh, do things that hurt each other. Uh, that, you know, adversely affect each other, that affect what we believe in, you know, that adversely affect, you know, the things that are important. I, I totally understand that. What I'm saying is we have to understand nuance and we have to understand intention and we have to understand the big picture of things. And I think a lot of times those things are what prevent achieving real community. There are important things that are facing us. Us, when I say us, I mean like all my intersections, um, black, fat people, infinite fat people, um, uh, just this kind of community at large, um, you know, LGBTQIA plus, um, that all these communities are facing a lot. And we all have one kind of one similar enemy, right? But the thing is that within our communities, you know, we have a lot of infighting a lot and a lot of uh, a lack of understanding, intolerance and, and acceptance. And I feel like those are the things that if we could, if we could get together and like just resolve, you know, understand and, and see when we hurt each other, acknowledge when we've hurt each other, say, you know, the things that we need to say to each other to, to move forward. Uh, we can really fight, you know, uh, capitalism and racism and ableism, xenophobia, you know, homophobia. We can really address those things. 
but I just see all over everywhere everybody fighting about stuff you know that could be acknowledged and, and we could just keep on moving you know but ego and uh biases and just being like digging our feet in the ground and saying it's so useless to me it's just it's frustrating and it's exhausting i'm talking about within our community and without you know within my intersections and without it's just so much in it and i know it's just human nature you know and i feel like that's you know we're fighting to be human but it's so much of our human nature that keeps us from creating and building community it's almost like we don't see things moving forward when we're like well we don't see ourselves as a collective forward and gaining anything then we talk on one another yeah 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 i mean especially those of us now i, I want to preface it by saying that there are those of us who really do move or have the intention to move in love in unity in joy not not in a cliche kind of kumbaya way but like literally like i'm we're a collective and if we're going to get through this together, we got to figure out how to do it together. That's what I mean when I say family, a collective, a, a, a true, uh, it's kind of like the, the basis of why I do mutual aid. Everything that the, what I do in me, that is, you know, the heart of why I do what I do, whether it be mutual aid or sacred space or whatever the case is that I see how things are going. I see where we're moving to. I take from the examples of, you know, communities of old, you know, especially in black communities where everybody, like she said in the book, everybody cared for everybody. If nobody was lacking, everybody had what they need. We've gotten so far away from that. People perceive it to be idealistic. I see it as the only way forward because what we're doing is not working. We're, there, there are systems in place that oppress us, that are rigged or are, are built not to include us. So how is it that we're gonna move forward individually? Even for people with privilege, it's gonna run out, you know? So how do we work together as different people from different places, different backgrounds, different whatever, to figure out how we're gonna move forward in the world. United States is crumbling. That's just the US, right? So like things are, are spiraling, you know, and we're seeing, we're seeing the breakdown of systems. We're seeing how things are not working. Racism, you know, is a virus, you know, and nobody's insulated from it. Whiteness, no one's insulated from it. I, I, it's so funny to me that white people don't even see how whiteness hurts them, you know? So, so it's, there's so many things that we have to focus on and the only way for, you know, forward is together. Like I said, it sounds idealistic, but it's the truth. You know, and until we can figure out how to, you know, to interact and work and acknowledge when we've done wrong, acknowledge when we've, you know, we've not done what we're supposed to do or that we could have done something better or, you know, I see you, I understand you, I, I hear you, I feel you. It's nothing's going to change. It's just not. Oh my God, I could talk to you for hours. I know, I know, I know. The book, the book, the book. <laughs> oh no, I think I, what, I think I'm going to ask you um, the second mm -hmm. last question now, uh, if somebody had read this book and really liked it, mm -hmm. what would be the next book you would recommend that they read? Uh, I would, I would, I, you know, I told you I started Fearing the Black Body. Fearing the Black Body, uh, among my friends, we talk about it and I haven't finished it yet, but up to, to, to as far as what I've read, it's more academic. It's not like a comfortable read, you know? But, and, and I, I know it depends on the audience, if you're a person who is kind of well-studied and appreciates culture and art and has kind of a high-level understanding 
of those pieces in, in history and just an appreciation of the world, you know, different cultures, different countries, of literature in general. You, the, the book will blow your mind only because <laughs> there are things that we've learned growing up about these people that are talked about in this book. Oh. Uh, uh, that we were only see, we only saw them from one side. Yes. And we learned to appreciate them based, uh, based on the white gaze. Yes. So Sabrina Strings does an amazing job of peeling back the layers and allowing us to see these things for what they really are. And that blows my mind. You know, that, that blows my mind because I'm like, I mean, I learned about these people. Like I, art history was like my favorite subject in college. You know, like I got into it. Literature. I mean, I'm liberal arts all the way. That's, that's me. And so I'm like, what? You know, I'm reading these things and I'm like, what? What? Are you serious? You know, and then, you know, even in here in America, I'm learning about, you know, different publications and things that we read, things that we saw on our, you know, our parents, you know, coffee tables. And it's just, it's just so amazing to me as a young Black woman, the things that I learned, that I aspired to, that were completely based on whiteness. Mm. Even uh, my, my, my major in school is mass communications. Even writing to whiteness, yes, yeah, it's, it's 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 very eye opening. So I I think learning as a as a black uh, woman reading this the the book we're talking about today is a good kind of precursor to that. And like I said, it's the fear in the black fear in the black body is very academic, but also very informative, and it'll help you kind of understand more about why you perceive yourself the way you do. And why these things in our culture, in advertising, in media, in art, in all the things that we've embraced that have made us who we are to come to where we are now are completely different than what they are perceived to be. Yeah, uh, that fear in the Black body is mind-blowing. I totally agree. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, well, I am come to the spot in the podcast where we'll get all of your links and anything you want to promote and we'll put it all down in the show notes. I'm always bad at this because I'm all over the place. Um, you can find me under Sacred Space with Fat Bodies on Facebook, on Instagram, obviously. I'm on Twitter. If you if you search me, Sacred Space with Fat Bodies, I think it's SSFFB. Um, or something like that on Twitter. You can find it. Just take a yeah, I'll put the link. Um, okay. I'm on Discord. Um, there's, I'll, you'll have the link for that there. It's an open invite link. I don't think it expires. I'm on TikTok, but not so much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I, we have a TikTok. Um, you can find my website, sacredspacewithfatbodies.org. And you'll see more there um, as the days go on. Um, the Kickstarter link will be there. It'll also be in my link in bio on Instagram. Instagram is pretty much the place you can go to to find all my all my links. So, okay. yeah. I will make sure all of that is in the show notes um, so that anybody who wants to can just scroll down. And mm -hmm. uh, awesome. I, I just want to thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Love Thank you. Just wow. Like, just wow, right? Angel has had an amazing life. And Angel is taking the lessons of the life that she has lived and putting it in, back into community. There's such a big lesson there. For, I know for me, there's such a big lesson there. The work, yes, is about us. Individually, we have to figure out our own relationship with our own fat phobia and diet culture. But in a bigger way, we are trying to break down some very large and very complex systems. And it's important that we have 
a soft place to land. And as, as humans, as individuals, if we can create that space for one another, everything changes. So I don't know about you, but for me, after listening to this, that's what I want to do. I want to create a soft space for other people to land. I hope you'll join me in that. And I hope that you will join Angel in creating, I mean, (laughs) the vision there is so incredibly large and so incredibly important. And I just hope that, uh, I just hope it moved you the way it moved me. Okay. I, you know what? Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I hope that you have a fantastic and wonderful day and, uh, let's do this again in a couple of weeks. Keep reading everyone. Mm-hmm.